Oh, yeah. Okay. I hope I don't knock it over. I'm try my best. Rishus, the, uh, the Rosh Kolel, and the, uh, the Rav, and the, uh, the Chavre Kolel, and uh, those who are uh, uh, guests who are here, I appreciate very much the opportunity to be able to share uh, not just something which is Chosha Mishpat related, which always I'm uh, always very excited to, uh, to share, but uh, this, uh, this uh, series which we've been doing in Shul for a number of years, I think we have ten stories or so at, uh, at this point, and we said that uh, the, the idea was to give a shear on something which people would find interesting. Usually Shavuos night, either it's interesting, just keeps people awake, but there's not necessarily much uh, token to it, there's not much uh, you know, substance to it, or it's something which is of great substance, but it's something which people end up falling asleep. So trying to find that perfect sweet spot where it's going to be something which is interesting, keep them awake, but still walk out with something. So Akash Baruch planted in my, uh, my mind that maybe I could take one of the, uh, the classic children's stories that everybody knows, and then analyze it from a Choshen Mishpat perspective. It started off as a, as a Choshen Mishpat uh, thing. Now, um, disclosure over here, I don't really know that much, but it's not really a matter of what is you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So I know people who know lots of Choshen Mishpat. That's, uh, that's really why, uh, why I'm here. The reason I'm doing it as opposed to my friends is because English is my native language and English is not their native language. So you have a, a good combination of I send this story to them, I give them the things which I'm thinking about from the story, the topics, and then in a couple of hours, my, uh, my Hasidish friend, he goes ahead and he just plugs away and just uh, you know, gives me uh, you know, 100 marmakomas, not really 100, 50 marmakomas about uh, all together, and then I uh, put it together in the shear, give it to him to look over one last time, and that's, uh, that's a shutfus which we've been doing for, for a long time. So far, of the 10 stories which we've done, only two of them he, ca- he called Goyish. So I think that, <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means, but two of them he didn't really like, so I don't know if in the future I'll use those, uh, use those again, just because his sensitivity. But, uh, but Jack and the Beanstalk is one of them, is one of the first ones which, uh, w- which I did. And it's something which, uh, this is the one of all of the children's stories which we do, this is the one which is most heavily focused on Chosha Mishpat, tons of Chosha Mishpat I- in the story. And one of the goals, even if you don't really remember anything, but one of the goals is to be able to see how halacha generally, in Chosha Mishpat specifically, the area of business halacha specifically, is around us all of the time throughout our lives, throughout everything which we do when we go to work and when we come back from work and even when we're home. And if we're just attentive to it, you'll be able to see it everywhere. So people may generally know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, but they never thought about it of all the details which are going on in terms of a Chosha Mishpata perspective. And we're going to see what, uh, what, uh, what we cover. Generally, the stories which I have, I, uh, I, I, prepare, I give share for an hour and a half. So I prepare... Uh, I usually get about halfway through uh, uh, Shavuos night, and then I have to make it up between Mincha Marv, the rest of Shavuos, just to go ahead and finish off. So each one of the stories is about three hours worth of shear. Don't be afraid. We'll get through what we can now, and then uh, the rest of it maybe we'll save for a part two, or maybe we'll move on to another story. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens uh, from there. So the story is there in front of you. For those who would like to uh, you know, catch up on the story, that's up to you. I will try anyways to highlight the main parts of the story which we're going, which we're going to be discussing. Okay, so and it may be that we don't get, really get past this first part of the story because there's really so much uh, material which is there. But what you have is the story opens up. You have Jack, we'll call him Yankel. Our, our goal is to figure out whether Yankel is a tzaddik or he's a rasha. Is he following halacha or is he not following halacha? This is what we're going to go ahead and try and, and figure out. So you have Yankel, he's a yasum, he's an orphan, and he has his mother. 
mother is, is taking care of him. For some reason, we don't know her name. I guess it's not, it's not important. And they're running out, they run out of money. It happens sometimes. They run out of money, and all they have left is a cow. And he says to his mother, that's the, there's some of the, the English is smaller type, some of it's larger. But he says, never mind, mother, said Jack, we must sell the cow. Trust me to make a good bargain. And away he went to the market. So here he is. I'm assuming that Yankel is lower than Bar Mitzvah. Just for argument's sake, I'll change around the stories as I need to for halachic purposes. You're allowed to do that for good Shiloh too. Change around the details for, uh, to make for a good Shiloh. But I'm assuming that he's less than Bar Mitzvah. So now the first question we have is, can Yankel go ahead and engage in a transaction? Can he sell the cow as a katan? <laughs> Generally, we assume that kinyanim, something, a kinyan, acquisition of something, selling something or buying something, inv- requires das, requires intent on, on the part of both parties to engage in the transaction, to be able to complete the transaction. If one of them is a child, so certainly Midarais, that child does not have Kenyanim, does not able to go ahead and do so. So this seemingly is going to be this huge impediment. The whole story doesn't really begin from a halachic perspective because Yankel isn't allowed to go ahead and sell this cow because he's a cotton. <laughs> but the truth is, if you look over the, that too is what it says in source number one, that up until six years of age, so a child is considered to be you, too young to engage in any Kenyan whatsoever. But Midrabanan, once a child is six or older, as long as the child is familiar, understands the nature of business, how business works, so the child is able to engage in transaction. What does it mean to know exactly how business works? So it's, it's the one way of doing it is whether the child can differentiate between a walnut and a nut, and he knows what's something which is valuable, what something is not. The way that I've heard it explained from, uh, from different postgame is if you could send the child to the store with a $10 bill, ask him to get a, a Shabbos treat for himself, and he knows how to buy that thing and bring home the right amount of change. So if he knows enough to be able to go to the store, buy something, get back the change he needs, so that means he understands in a very broad sense what business is, is about, and uh, that's, uh, that he could engage in, uh, in business. Once a child reaches the age of, of 10, so then the assumption is that the child does know how to go ahead and engage in business at that point. They're sophisticated enough, they're experienced enough to be able to do so. But unless the child demonstrates uh, an inability to understand the ways of the world and something like that. So based on this, we would say, okay, Midaraisa, a child does not, Yankel does not have Das in order to be able to engage in a transaction. Let's say he's nine or eight or something like that. But Midaraban and Chazal came along and instituted the possibility that a child can engage in commerce. So that means Yankel's okay. He could go ahead and he could sell the cow. Except that in source number two, so really there's a limitation on this enactment of Chazal, on this construction of Chazal, that a child could engage in business. And that's only a child. The reason why Chazal instituted that a child below the age of Bar Mitzvah should be able to engage in commerce is specifically for a case like Yankel. Because you have a child like Yankel who has nobody taking care of him. He doesn't have a father who is giving him an allowance every, uh, every week, every month, every day, whatever it happens to be. And if the child isn't going to be able to buy and sell, he's never going to be able to get any money into his pocket. If he doesn't have money in his pocket, he can't buy food, clothing, can't pay for shelter, can't do anything. So the enactment was specifically made so that the child below the age of Bar Mitzvah, who has nobody taking care of him, will be able to provide for himself, be able to take care of himself. And therefore, the halacha is in a very strict sense of the, of the halacha, that is, that the child is only allowed to engage in commerce in the event that there's no apotropos. If he doesn't have a legal guardian 
who's watching over him, who's overseeing his finances. So then we have no choice but to say, okay, send your uncle out to go ahead and buy and sell on his own. He's got to go to the store and get some food at some point. So we'll allow him to go ahead and do so. In the event that there is an apotropos, there's a guardian or there is a parent who's around, who's, who's responsible. So it may very well be that the child is, does not have that allowance to go ahead and engage in that transaction. And therefore, it may be that uh, there may be limitations on whether we would recognize the validity of this Kenyan. But the truth is, is that we're not really talking, we're not only talking about whether Yanko could engage in this Kenyan by itself. Can he sell the cow by itself? Part of what, we're, part of what he's doing is he appointed himself, in a, in, in a certain sense, as the shliach for his mother. It's really his mother's cow. Maybe yes, maybe no, depending on what, the halachas of Yerusha, which we won't go, go into. But let's assume that his mother bought the cow at some point, and now she owns the, the cow, and she's now sending Yankel to go ahead and sell the cow, the cow for her. So regardless of whether we would say Yankel is allowed to make the Kenyan on his own, he's not allowed to make the Kenyan on his own, if he's a shliach, if he's an agent for somebody else, Although halacha certainly recognized the concept of shlichus, of agency, that shlichus shall adam kamoso, that you could go ahead and act on my behalf, and what you do is considered, you become my alter ego, that's where Chaim Kohn refers to it, you become my alter ego in this, uh, in this transaction. So although certainly that's a recognized way of being able to engage in business. And there are plenty of, uh, of business people who don't do any of the kinyanim themselves. They have lots of different people who are making all the kinyanim for them, and they're just sitting in their office overseeing everything, but don't actually engage in kinyanim. So although that's certainly true that a kinyan can be done via shlichus, via agency, a child specifically below, below the age of bar mitzvah, such a child is not able to act as a shliach. So if Yankel's whole, uh, his whole premise over here is to sell this cow on behalf of his mother, so in the event that he's selling the, the, the cow on behalf of his mother, he is not a shliach, from, a, from, from Chazal, from, from Shas, and from, from Shochrach, he would not be able to serve as a shliach, and that again is going to undermine the validity of whatever he's, however much he's going to get for this cow, it would undermine that validity because he doesn't really have the capacity to, he doesn't have the allowance or the authority to act on somebody else's behalf and sell, that, uh, sell, the cow, sell his mother's cow for her. But, that's not always true. You have over here in the second part of source number three, and certainly you see in source number four, so anybody who's lived any time in Eretz Yisrael, visited Eretz Yisrael for a short period of time, so one of the things that, that you notice right away about the difference in terms of culture between Eretz Yisrael and the States is there, it's Kaseder. It happens all the time in every local uh, Makolet that I don't know if adults ever actually go into the Makolet. You just send the kids. You give them uh, whatever shekel. You tell them to put it on the, the cheshbon, put it on the account, and just send them to the store. They do the Shabbos shopping. They do the birthday shopping. They do whatever shopping it takes place. You just send the kids to go ahead and do so. So you could ask the question, if kids aren't allowed to be a shliach, if they can't be an agent to engage in commerce for an adult, so how do all those kinyanim take place? How can they possibly be... Uh, you recognize how lachically you get your cheshbon at the end of the month, which says that you owe 5,000 shakas. You say to the Makola guy, listen, he wants my shliach. What do you want me to do? My kid, my kid wanted some candy. He bought 5,000 shekel worth of candy. I didn't authorize such a thing. It was never me. You, you're not supposed to do a kinyan with a child, so I'm, you eat the, the loss, and it's not my responsibility. So Rechashulchan says no. That he says explicitly, if the child walks into the Makola, if the child walks into a store and says, my father sent me to go pick up 
I don't know if they still do, but it used to be that they could also just get wine for Shabbos too. You know, the seven-year-olds are buying wine and, uh, you know, some schnapps for, uh, for L'chaim. But you send the child to the, to the store to go ahead and buy this, this stuff for Shabbos. And as long as it seems reasonable that the child was sent by the parent to go ahead and do so, so they're not buying all of the candy from the candy aisle. They're actually buying Shabbos stuff, so then it seems reasonable that this would, that the child was sent by the parent, and we do recognize the child would be able to act. It may not be official type of shlichus, but we recognize that the, the Kenyan is going to take place between the parent and the, uh, and the merchant, and it may be that the child is serving no more than a role than Kof Alma. He's just going ahead, he's taking money from one place to another. He's not creating the Kenyan, making the Kenyan. He's just the delivery person who's, uh, who's involved. Okay, so as far as that is concerned, so it may very well be that we could justify, maybe yes, maybe no, but we could justify the fact that Jack is going, Yanko is going to be able to sell his mother's cow. But now, what we get to is, this is where things get exciting and you need to put on your, uh, your thinking caps. Should have had it on already. But here we have, so we know that the way the story is, and you have that on the, the second page over there, is that he's on his way to go to the market to sell his mother's cow, and some uh, fellow comes up to him. Here it says that it's a butcher, depending on which store you, uh, you, you look at. So it's a different profession, but a butcher is interested in the cow, and he makes an offer to, uh, to Yankel. He says, listen, I'll go ahead and I will, for your cow, I will give you magic beans. So, anything you tell a child that this is going to be magic, a child's going to get very excited by that. That's why they shouldn't be doing business, because they get excited by, uh, by the possibility of getting some, uh, some magic beans. But he says, that, listen, you're going to put them in the ground, they're going to grow all the way to the sky overnight. Not telling you what's going to happen when you get, into the, when you get to the sky, but this is going to be, uh, this will be the Kenyan. And Jack is all too excited to go ahead and engage in this transaction, to go ahead and be able to sell the last valuable object they have, which is the cow, and to get for that magic beans. Now at this point, we need to go ahead and we need to explore like frame by frame exactly what's going on. Some of it, you may be ahead of me uh, as far as un- understanding the story, but we're just going to go ahead and try and look at this sequentially. Now with all of our rational mind in place, put on your rational mind in a moment, so you say selling a cow for magic beans, there's no such thing as magic beans, and therefore Yanko's getting ripped off. So in halacha, we refer to getting ripped off in the context of a, a context of a transaction. That's what we call ona. You have the Hebrew over there in the middle. Ona, Reb Chaim Kohn translates that as exploiting. I say this specifically because it has a it has a specific halachic meaning to it. But what I'm doing is I'm taking advantage of your ignorance. We're just going to look at it from the merchant perspective, but it works in the the reverse as well. But I have some merchandise. You have no idea how much the merchandise is worth. Right? A good example would be if you want to sell a used computer to somebody who is older than you. So a used computer, somebody older than you, so you could say to the person, listen, I bought this computer new two years ago for $2,000. It's in mint condition. You can see everything is good. I'll sell it to you for $1,500. They say, wow, that sounds like a good deal. It looks as good as new. Two-year-old computer, it's not that, it's not that old. Think, they're thinking from a car perspective. It's not that old. It doesn't have that many miles on it. So they say, okay, $1,500 for a two-year-old computer. Great deal. And they go ahead and they, uh, they, uh, they, they give you the money. The truth is, two-year-old computer has too many miles on it. It's not really worth very much at all once it's already two years old, but they don't know that. So you're selling it for $1,500. You're exploiting their ignorance. They don't know the nature of the market. They don't know how much used computers actually go for. So you're exploiting that ignorance in order to get more money out of them. So this is something which is a, it's an isidaraisa to go ahead and exploit, as a merchant, to exploit a customer's ignorance. And the Chazal went ahead and identified 
certain parameters around that. In the key, to the key number that you want to remember is one sixth. So if I go ahead and exploit you less than a sixth, so then if it's less than a sixth, we say the, the, the transaction goes through, you have no recourse whatsoever. Like the smile, the simple explanation is, is that we can't pinpoint an exact price anyways. So as long as you're within the ballpark, you're within range of a reasonable thing, so a little bit more, a little bit less is not going to be a big deal. If it's exactly one-sixth, how we calculate that is a different schmooze, but if it's exactly one-sixth, so then we say the Kenyan goes through, the transaction goes through, but you get a refund. So if I overpaid a sixth, so then I get that money back that has to be refunded back to me. If it's more than a sixth, so then that's what we call bitomekach. So that cancels the transaction. As long as you, the, the person who was exploited is upset that they were exploited, so they have the option to just cancel the sale altogether. To say, listen, I don't want to engage in the a commerce like that in, 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 the, in this transaction. The object isn't worth that much to me that I'm going to overpay to that degree. So those are the basic, that's the basic uh, 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 parameters of ONA. Now it's essential, essential, essential to know about ONA because people get confused when they first hear these, uh, these halachas is what you have to know is what's called, you have to be aware or familiar with markets. Markets are going to determine everything when it comes to Ona. So as everybody knows, I just came from the airport. So this bottle of water, uh, if you buy it uh, locally at a store, by us it would be like Jewel or something like that, so it'll cost you a dollar, a dollar fifty, two dollars, or something like that. If you buy that in the airport, there's a reason they don't have prices on things in the airport. Because <laughs> if you knew how much they were charging, it's eight dollars, ten dollars for a bottle of water like that. So I say, listen, from two dollars to ten dollars, that's a multiple of five. That's certainly more than one six. I may not be so good with fractions, but certainly from two dollars to ten dollars, you know that that's going to be way more than a six. So why is the airport allowed to sell a bottle of water for ten dollars when I could get it elsewhere for two dollars? So the answer to that is, what you need to understand is, is that the, the parameters uh, or the application of ONA is market sensitive. So when you have in the airport, the airport is its own market by itself. And in that particular market, the reasonable cost for a bottle of water is $10. Haraya, the proof is, they sell it and lots of people buy uh, water. You get on the plane, every other person has a bottle of water that they went ahead and they did unless... They got ripped off one and they looked at their receipt, then they carry their, their own water things uh, now. But there, that's a particular market. You go to a different place, you go to a store which is local, so that's not the same market as the airport. And for them, $2 is a reasonable price, and that's how much they go ahead and they, go ahead and they sell it for. So determining ONA, whether it's more than a six, less than a six, or exactly one six, so that's market sensitive. And even though you could buy the exact same thing, everybody knows this from clothing stores. You could buy something at uh, Saks Fifth Avenue. You buy it at Saks Off Off Saks, whatever they're Off Saks. Yeah, whatever their whatever their uh, their uh, their leftovers thing uh, their thing is going to be, and then you could go by us. It's like a TJ Maxx type of thing. And you may be able to find the same sweater, and it's going to be even less than that. So do you say that the fact that Saks Fifth Avenue is charging hundred dollars, you get the same thing at TJ Maxx for twenty five dollars? Does that mean that either they're overcharging and it's us, or they're undercharging and you have to pay them more? The answer is no, because everybody knows that. TJ Maxx is one type of market where just a quick store where you go in and you get the, you know, all sorts of, you know, uh, chazerai and stuff. And then there's going, going to Saks and going to Saks Fifth Avenue, you're expecting a different, uh, a different uh, service. It's a different, uh, it's a different experience. And therefore, the fact that one is selling it for 25 and one is selling it for 100, so that doesn't mean either of them are actually over the Isser of Ona. Because it's all just a different market. 
And this is something which is so important. We had, when we were first learning these halachas, 20 some odd years ago, so this is when uh, the ability to buy Sfarim online first came into, uh, was first, uh, was first uh, starting. So when we were learning these halachas, it's the first things that, uh, that, that we did in the Kola by us. So somebody said, I can't believe, I was just, I, I bought a Safer in Chicago, Safer in Chicago cost me $25, and then I went to New York, and uh, I saw the same Safer on the shelf, and it was only $20. I can't believe, I, I, I overpaid $5, do I have any Taina on the store? So Chaim Kohn said to him, he says, no, there's two markets, there's the Chicago market, and there's the New York market. New York market, Sfarma are going to be cheaper, there's more, more Sfarma are going to be sold, whatever it's going to be, Chicago is a different market, and therefore you cannot compare the prices and claim that there's going to be, there's going to be Ona. So the person said, yeah, but I could log in online, back when there was still dial-up, I could log in online, and I could go ahead and I could order the same Safer from that store in New York and get it for the same $20. So if I could get it now here in Chicago for the same $20, doesn't that mean that it's Ona? Chaim said, no, that's a third market. Because there's, there's the store market in New York, a store market in Chicago, and then there's ordering things online, which is a completely different market, and he wasn't hearing anything about Ona for that. So in the context of a store, it's all, you'll almost never have a circumstance where there's Ona. Because if it was Ona, either they're selling too low and they're going to be sold out very quickly, the supply will be gone in no time, and they'll realize they could charge more for it. If they're charging too much, if they set their prices too high, nobody's going to buy for them. So merchants spend a lot of money and they do a lot of research finding that sweet spot where people, how much people are willing to spend on it, and you can be certain that that becomes the market that becomes the market in that particular place, and then in that market, then you go one six above, one six below, and that's how you go ahead and calculate out uh, calculate out ona. Now another thing is is that ona in the event that you feel that you were ripped off. Something happened that uh, it was a, a private sales, a, a used car, a used computer, something like that between two private individuals where you think, or maybe on, uh, on eBay or something, where you think that you may have been, uh, you may have been, uh, you know, may have been exploited. So you have to keep in mind that the only way to, that you have a limited amount of time to be able to research whether or not you paid a reasonable price for that object. The phrase is, it's in source number seven over there at the end of the, the first line, Akadesh Yara Olakrovo. So the expectation is, is that you buy something, you immediately show friends and family and, uh, you know, your brother-in-law's cousin who's an expert in this particular field who handles in this thing, and you show this and say, this is how much I paid, did I get a good price for it or not? And once that window uh, passes, once that expires, so then even if it turns out you were ripped off, it doesn't make a difference. You were, you were exploited, it's too late to go ahead and go back to the merchant and say, I want my money. He has this small window of time in which to, uh, to do so. So now, let's get back to uh, Yankel over here. So Yankel went ahead and a cow, let's say, is going to cost $1,000. A bag of burpee seeds, which you're going to buy to make, uh, you know, to plant the green beans in your garden. So that'll cost you 79 cents. $1,000, 79 cents. So this would seemingly be, oh no, once again, you don't have to do fractions to know that this is way more than one six. And Yankel got ripped off. He should be able to claim, oh no, go back to his mother, say to mom, look what I got. So they got these seeds for the, uh, for the cow. And aren't you excited? And she's going to say, what are you talking about? That's oh no, go back to the merchant and get back, uh, get back our cow. But the truth is, is that this is not a shila of oh no. And now what you need to, uh, to be mindful of is that to differentiate, we have two different partios as far as uh, transaction are, are, are concerned, canceling transactions. So one is the partial of ona, the topic of ona, exploiting, which is what we just explained. A second one is what we call mekachtos. 
Mekach tos is where you didn't get what you bargained for, in the sense that I thought I was getting X, and instead I went ahead and I got Y. I got a different product. So it's, it's, it's essential to go ahead and differentiate between those two partials, between those two topics, even though there seemingly is a lot of overlap between them. And you know, the, way we, the way we were taught to differentiate is, Ona is, I say that I'm selling you my phone, I'm going to sell you my used phone, and I'm going to charge you only $700 for my used phone. Now, the truth is, is that I said I'm selling you this phone, I do sell you this phone, it just turns out that I overcharge you for the phone. So in terms of the transaction, there's the chayfetz, there's the object which is being sold, and then there's the price. So the object is exactly as I described, I delivered exactly as I described, I just overcharge you. Mekachtos says, I told you I'm selling you this phone, and instead I gave you this. So it's not the same object. So we, the meeting of the minds in terms of the object is now broken by virtue of the fact that I, I a bait and switch, if you want to call it that, but I went ahead and I sold you something else. So over here, what's going on is, this isn't a matter of Ona oh, necessarily. This is a matter of the fact that you told me that you're giving me magic beans. My rational brain says these are not, his mother says in the, in the story, she says she was furious at him that he went ahead and exchanged the cow for the beans and she throws it out the window because she's so upset with the fact that he went ahead and did so. So this would seemingly be Mekartos. You told me you're selling me magic beans. She says these are not magic beans. You sold me just regular beans. So he got beans for, for the cow. So he got literally beans for the, for the cow. So this becomes, uh, this now seemingly fits better into the topic of mekachtos, the fact that he didn't get what he bargained for because the the uh, the butcher or the farmer, whoever it is, went ahead and said, "I'm giving you X," and instead he ended up giving him Y. So that puts it into a whole different uh, uh, category. The halacha, and that's what you have at the top of the, the, the next page by source eight. So one of the major differences between ona and mekachtos is, although ona has that limited frame, time frame, in which you could find out whether you paid the reasonable price or not, and once that expires, so it's too late, and there's no recourse once that, once that time passes. When it comes to Mechartos, you are able to go ahead and go back to the merchant years later, whenever it is that you discover that it's actually a defective product. So I can, I can, you could have sold me a car and I could be using it for years and years and I don't realize that there's any sort of defect in the car. And then at some point later on, a year, two years, three years, I could then, the, the defect becomes uh, evident. It's the type of thing which was in the car from the, from the outside. It's not wear and tear. It was there all along. I could come back to you and I could say, listen, you sold me a defective car and whatever the consequences are going to be. Well, the price is also relevant, whether it was a shlosser or a By By no. And as long as it's not the, the as long as it's, it's, it, the definition of a moom is whatever, thank you, uh, the definition of a moom, of a, of, of a defect is uh, whatever a person would, go, would, most people would go back to the merchant and complain that this is not what I wanted. So there are some defects which, you know, if you're buying a used car and you didn't realize that there's a little scratch on the, uh, on the bumper. So if you're buying a used car, you really expect that there's going to be a bunch of scratches there anyways. If you see a scratch afterwards, so that's not something that buying a used car is going to be grounds to go back to merchant and say, hey, you sold me a car, you didn't tell me that this little scratch is over there, and I want to go ahead and I want to, uh, I want, uh, I want to refund, I want to cancel the sale. So it has to be something which most people would go back to the merchant and say, hey, this is not what I bargained for, and I want to go ahead and I want, I want my money back, and you take back the, uh, you take back the thing. Do you still owe for the benefit that you had of using it in that uh, in the interim? So I don't want to talk about that. 
because that will get us into Ribas. I'll take us from Chosher Mishpat, perhaps into uh, Yordaya. So I'm going to say I'm going to stay away from uh, I'm going to stay away from uh, that. But we had we had a Shiloh once. We had an art. We actually have an article, Business Weekly, many years ago, about a, a store where they they lost power at some point. Lost power for five six hours, and then the power came back on. What happened was that the ice cream that was in the freezer it all melted and then it refroze. And the question is, are they allowed to sell it because ice cream apparently ice cream which which melts and then is refrozen isn't the same quality as something which was uh, never melted and then and then refroze. So the assumption is that most people, by the time you get home, they would say, okay, you know, I'm not going to slide back to the, uh, to the store to go ahead and return my, uh, my butterscotch ice cream to go ahead and get, get a new one. But you know that this is something that people are mocked on the chatrila. So there's, uh, yeah, so there, 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 there's that as far. But the definition is of mumbemekach, of a defective product, is what most people would go back and say, I want to cancel the sale because this is significant enough for, for what it is. So it's not a matter of price. It's a matter of just the extent of the uh, 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 of, uh, of the defect, but you're allowed to go ahead and you're allowed to return it forever. So this this gives more time. Usually, the most common shaila of something which is defective, which you don't discover till later in life, is bar mitzvah boys get all sorts of sfarim bar Hashem at the time of the bar mitzvah, and usually they sit on the shelf till you know in the base matters or something like that. They get married if it's halacha sfarim, so it sits on the shelf for a long time, and then sometime later, five, ten, fifteen years later, they finally break out. Oh, this is what an archa shulchan is. I, I, I thought I heard of the archa shulchan before, and it turns out I got one for my bar mitzvah, and then they open it up, and some of the pages are. Repeated or some, there, you know, there's 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 a there's a defect in the safer. So technically, at that point, they could go if they know who the merchant is, they could go back to the store and say, "Listen, you sow me a uh, an archa shulchan with which with uh, with mi- missing pages, and you have to uh, you have to make good on the uh, on the sale." And they say, "But it happened ten years ago." Well, it wasn't there a tie? So it's the tie to the person who gave the present. You can go back to the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could we could we could trace it back. We could trace it back. But ultimately, a merchant is is going to be responsible for things. It could be that the the gift giver, right? But uh, yeah, another uh, can of worms. As far as uh, as far as that, how far back we're going to be able to go? But that's going to be the halacha of mum uh, of mum b'mekach. So theoretically, what we should be able to say is is that when when uh, 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 Yankel's mother uh, goes ahead and realizes that she got beans for the cow. And her thinking is that they're not magic beans. So this is mum b'mekah. This is not a case of ona that you went ahead and you got what you wanted, and it was just a discrepancy in price. This is you didn't get what you wanted. You were promised magic beans, and the thinking is if these are not magic beans, so that's mekah toast. You sold me something which uh, it, it, it was not as advertised. But now this is not so simple. This is not such a, a simple thing that you're able to uh, to claim that because there's an interesting halacha by chalipin. Chalipin, we, we, we often think of chalipin in terms of when you're selling, uh, when you're selling your chametz, or you're authorizing the rav to go ahead and sell your chametz. So you go ahead and, you, you know, he gives you a pen, he gives you a yamuk, he gives whatever uh, uh, keli, whatever utensil he has that you lift up and that authorizes the rav to go ahead and sell chametz on your behalf. That's commonly the way we think of chalipin, but we can actually do a chalipin transaction where I have an object, you have an object, I don't need mine, you don't need yours, but I want yours and you want mine. We'll go ahead and we'll make an exchange. So there, you see in source number nine over there, that when it comes to the transaction of chalipin, not a sale, but when it comes specifically to the, to the, to the transaction of chalipin, so it doesn't make a difference in terms of the price, the price discrepancy. 
Because if I'm on my way to go ahead and give a shear in Minneapolis, and I need to make sure that I look nice, and a button falls off of my uh, off of my suit, and that would be humiliating. My wife would kill me if I went ahead and gave a shear with a button missing from my suit. I've done it before, so I know. That's why I'm here. So, uh, so if, at that moment, so the the value of a sewing needle would be very would be very valuable for me at that moment because right now I need to get this button onto the jacket. So I may spend ten, fifteen, twenty dollars to get that needle, so I could go ahead and sew this on. So I'll be able to go home, and I would say, be able to say this year went the this year went well. I may have a ten dollar uh, bottle of water. I went ahead and bought it in the airport. In my desperation, I say to the person next to me, "Listen, I see you have a sewing needle. Do you mind making an exchange? I'll give you my ten dollar bottle of water for that sewing needle. Would you be willing to go ahead and do so?" They say, "Yeah, a sewing needle for a ten dollar bottle of water. I'm so thirsty anyway. So we've been sitting on the the tarmac for hours. And they don't even put on the air force uh, on the air force. Yes, you could go ahead. We'll, we'll go ahead and make that exchange. So even though the sewing needle is a ten cent object." And the bottle of water is a $10 object. We don't look at that as that price discrepancy. That doesn't bother us at all. It doesn't bother us at all because the thinking is, is that when I'm trading my bottle of water for your sewing needle, nobody's thinking about this in terms of Shavius. Nobody's thinking about this in terms of the value of the object itself. I want that object. You want my object. The fact that my object costs X and your object costs Y, neither of us are thinking about that when we're making this type of chalip and when we're making this type of, when we're making this type of exchange. So the whole parsha of Ona doesn't apply when people are engaging in that type of transaction where they're not talking about value. And that's really what was going on between Jack and the farmer over here. Jack has a cow that he's, that he's looking to, uh, to get rid of. He, uh, the farmer has some beans, which he's going to use to, to barter. And each of them is satisfied. I'll take your cow, you take these beans. And they're satisfied with that, with that, with that exchange. And it may very well be that even, if even though there's a huge price discrepancy between them, that doesn't bother us in Hilchos Kenyanim. In Halacha is a transaction. That's not going to bother us because until now we were really talking about in the context of a sale. So in the context of a sale, you have Ona. In the context of a sale, you'll have Mekachtos. In a barter, you could also have Mekachtos. But the, 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 the topic of Ona doesn't apply. It's specifically excluded from, the, uh, from a transaction of, uh, of Chalipin. Now, it would be true if Yankel's mother had said to him that when you sell this cow, don't sell it for any less than $500, or don't sell it for any less than $750. And then when he was speaking to the farmer, he said, I need to get minimally this type of value from the cow. Once he's already saying, I need to get a certain amount of value, that takes it out of this chalip in Parsha, and it puts it back into regular sale. So you have to be very attentive to the language which they're using and how they're, how they're, what, what the meaning of the, uh, of the minds is. But that may go ahead and account for the fact that he could theoretically, one moment, he could theoretically go ahead and make this exchange of cow for beans because when you're doing this type of commerce, of, of, of bartering, so value is, uh, is irrelevant. Yep. Now, before we get into the bartering, in regard to Ona, the, the seller offers a service along with the product. He offers, you don't have to go all the way to the market We'll do the transaction right here. What happens if someone offers a product but a service along with a product? Does Ona apply to that? And how uh, does that intersect? Um, so there's two different ways I could understand your question. <laughs> whether or not the service part of it is also subject to Ona, or whether or not if 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 there's a product and a person one uh, one is person is offering just the product and the other says product plus plus service, whether or not those are different markets. So which which of those? So I'm talking about a case where 
quite often it's all one price. So it's one price, it's a product, but it may come with an additional service along with the product. They're going to deliver my dishwasher to me, not just sell it to me and have me truck it back to my house. Right. Um, so it's an interesting thing. I, I don't know if it was if it was published yet. I don't read the business weekly. I just far from writing it, but I don't actually read it. No way it comes out. But uh, as I was, it was in the car. That's why I took an Uber to the uh, to the uh, uh, to the uh, to the airport the, this morning, and uh, it reminded me of something that we worked on a couple of weeks ago. An article we worked on a couple of weeks ago that when you hire an Uber driver, are you also considered? Are, are you a socher? Are you a renter of the car also? <coughs> are you only hiring the person to provide a service, or do you also become a renter on the on the car? And in that article, there's there's not there's differences as far as what's what, what's going to be about shmir b'bailim, different types of uh, different uh, types of technical things. But the, it's an interesting question that the post can discuss as far as that is concerned. It, are you hiring the person and getting the the service or the product, or it's it's really it, it becomes one transaction? So that's yeah, that's a, it's it's an interesting discussion. So uh, very well on point. Thank you. This is all that I know. Though. You, the said it's it's have by also, no? You you, you you would have, but we're, 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 um, to, yeah yeah correct. There'll be no, hold on. Yeah. Well, I was curious if uh, I mean even in the case of Kalipin, like you think you're selling a needle, but actually less valuable or not really what you thought. Wouldn't that be a that would be mekartos. So you told me you're giving me X, and you ended up giving me Y. In this case, that's pretty. It's, it's, that, that's pretty different, right? So it's a different. It's a different object. Now, the reason why I brought in the the, the chalipet over here is that normally we say that the allowance for me to go ahead and uh, with the the validity of exchanging the bottle of water for a sewing needle, ten dollars versus ten cents, that could only be done by the owners of the respective objects. It's my bottle of water. It's your sewing needle. But if I send a shliach, I send an agent to go ahead and sell or buy something for me. So then, you have, that's what you have in source, uh, uh, source 10. So the allowance, they have this huge discrepancy between the objects which are being exchanged. That's limited to the owners themselves. But if I appoint you as my agent to take care of the cow for me, Yankel's mother is sending Yankel to go ahead and sell the cow for her. He decides he's going to engage in this barter of cow for magic beans. So at that point, if there's any discrepancy whatsoever, if, the, if, if Mama Jack, she goes out and says, I don't want this at all, so she could be mavat, she essentially nullifies or retroactively, we realize that the whole shlichus now comes undone because he wasn't authorized to go ahead and exchange it for something which he may be interested, which is magic beans, but something which uh, nobody there with his mother certainly was not, uh, not interested in. And that, could, that also is a, will potentially nullify the entire sale. And that's the famous phrase which you have in the middle of Source 11 over there of the tukuni shedartich lavusi that any time I appoint you as my agent to represent me in a transaction, the basic assumption is, is that you're going to represent me to my benefit and not to go ahead and represent me in a transaction which is going to be to my detriment. If you're going to cause me a loss, I don't authorize you to represent me if it's going to cause me a loss. So even if we could somehow justify that this, uh, that this sale is uh, that he's uh, he can make this uh, he could sell the cow and maybe even get the beans but in the event that she decides that this is not the the exchange which I would be interested in so that nullifies the entire transaction and theoretically he could go back to the the farmer and say or the butcher and say listen you uh, here here are your beans back give me the cow back and we're canceling the uh, the the entire thing now what's interesting is they actually were magic beans so now 
they were badgering me. So now his mother, who let's assume now that she's the the balas hot transaction, she's the one whose uh, whose cow is being sold over here. So she was expecting. She thought that all she got for her cow was a bunch of beans, which are going to grow green beans. But it turns out that they actually are incredibly valuable beans because they're able to grow this uh, this bean stalk. That's the name bean stalk, which is going to go all the way up to the uh, to the heavens. So here you have in source twelve and thirteen, you have uh, a fascinating discussion in the in the in the post game uh, that relates to uh, the mindset which is necessary in order to be able to engage in any transaction. And this is the, what the uh, what the uh, the Ramah is describing over here is. We're talking about three parties over here. So I go to a merchant and I say, hey, looks like you have a lead bowl over there. How much do you want for that lead bowl? And he says, I'll give it to you for $10. I give him $10, I get the, uh, the lead bowl. And then I go and I buy it because I know that one of you is looking to buy a lead bowl. So I turn around and I say to you, listen, I found a lead bowl. I'll sell it to you for $15. And you say, great. $15, that's less than I was planning on paying for a lead bowl. I'll be happy to go ahead and give you $15 for a lead bowl, and I sell it to you for $15. Now, you're using the lead bowl, you're using your pestle in the bowl, and you're grinding up your thing, and suddenly the lead begins to crack away, and you discover that there was a very thin layer of lead, and the entire bulk of it is all silver. So now that we realize that it's silver, it's not a $15 bowl anymore. Now it's a $500 bowl because that's pure silver under there. It was just hiding under the lead. So you say to me, you'll never believe what happened. You sold me that lead bowl, and I, I appreciate it very much. You sold it to me for, uh, for $15, but it turns out it was filled with silver, and it's worth $500. I, pri- I priced it on, uh, on eBay. I get $500 for that bowl. I say to you, hey... When, you, when I sold it to you, I thought it was only a $15 object, and that's why I sold it to you a $15 object. If it turns out that it's a $500 object, give me back my bowl. Because that was my bowl, and I mistakenly sold it to you. I didn't mean to sell you a $500 bowl. I thought I was selling you a $15 bowl. I want my bowl back. So it's a good time now. Do I, have a, do I have a claim? Can I go back to you, the customer, and say, listen, I didn't realize that it was such a, an expensive bowl, and I want my money back? So the must says, I have no claim. Because inherent in every Kenyan, inherent, not every Kenyan, I shouldn't say it like that, inherent in this type of transaction of buying and selling is my mind, my thinking in terms of what it is that I, I, I'm, I'm selling to you or what it is that I bought and in turn sell to you. So the value of what I own is set at what I think it is. So if I thought it's only a $10 bowl, which I'm selling for $15, I only owned $15 of that bowl. The other $485 of value of that bowl, I never owned that. So I sold you what I did own. I owned $10 worth of bowl. I sold you my $10 worth of bowl for $15. The other $485 of value, which I didn't realize that it had, I actually never owned it. And therefore, it's now yours, and you tell me to jump in the lake. So listen, my good fortune, Mazli Garm, it was my good mazel that I was able to get this $500 thing for only $15. There's no claim of, of Mechachtos, there's no claim of Onah, because I never owned that, because in my mind, I never realized that it was there. That's the Ramaz rule. That's a famous Ramaz ruling about this. Now on that, you see in Source 13 over here, so the Pishchei Tshuva quotes the Avodah Seger Shuni. Avodah Seger Shuni asks a variation of this, uh, of this case. And he says that what happens in the, uh, let's say that it was, that it, I don't want to use, uh, it looked silver, and I don't know the difference between steel and silver, 
and I sold it. I thought that it was a regular steel uh, item. So I sold you this steel part for $10, and it turns out that it's silver. So is that the same case as the Ramah? The reason why you could, you could argue that it's different is the Ramah's case is talking about where it was silver which was coated with lead, and from the outside you couldn't see that it was silver. Here, there was no coating on the, on the object whatsoever. I just didn't know what it was. I thought it was, I thought it was steel, and it turns out that it was, uh, it was silver. I thought it was, you know, uh, you know, like a silver filling, and it turns out that it was, I don't know, platinum or something, you know, some much more valuable metal, which I, which I had no idea. So is that going to be the same case or not? Davodis Gershuni initially thinks that maybe the two cases are different, but then he says, the Lavush, however, says explicitly that the two cases are the same. Now, just because Lavush says that the two cases are necessarily the same doesn't necessarily make it that we're going to pass in that way. And here, it's such an, it's, it's an incredibly important idea for anybody who learns Chosha Mishpah to, to, be, to be aware of this. If you look at the, it's at the top of the next page over there, the second to the last line. So just because the Lavush says the two cases are the same, that they're also, I only uh, acquired the value which I thought it was, even though it turns out that it's more. This the, the end of source 13, last two lines. He says, Anybody who learns Chosh Mishpah knows that like every other Sma, every third Sma, every fourth Sma, he goes ahead, anytime he could disagree with the Lavush, he disagrees. He says, Yershushan says this, and he's wrong. Yershushan says this, and he's wrong. Yershushan says this, he's wrong. Throughout the Sma, he's always jumping on the Lavush, saying he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong. So Vodas the Pishchei really says, that if the Sma goes that in, 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 in there's a Lavush, which could potentially be disagreed with, and the Sma doesn't say that he disagrees, Shtika That means he agrees with the Lavush, and you could use that as a rye, you could use that as further support for the Lavush's position over there, just by virtue of the fact that he didn't disagree, that by definition means that he agrees. So now it's just, it's not just the Lavush, it's the Lavush and the Sma. Okay? So far? Okay, now we get the exciting case. <laughs> the exciting case went, went, went as follows. So there was a... Uh, a younger man learning in Kola, learning Kola with uh, with a gvir, with a with a wealthy person who decided that he was going to go. He wanted to give his his young uh, 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 Kola uh, fellow Chavrusa uh, a gift, and he goes and buys him a set of twelve expensive crystal drinking glasses. Now, as a younger man with little kids in the house, what are you going to do with twelve crystal uh, drinking glasses? Nothing. So he went ahead and he put it in the bottom, of, in the back of the closet somewhere, and we're just going to leave it there, leave it there, and we're not even going to think about it because there's no way that we could possibly take this out because it'll be broken before we even get it out of the box. So he leaves it there five years, ten years, whatever it is. Sometime later, he's been in Kola long enough, he's, uh, he's, he's learned enough, now he goes traveling around as scholar in residence all over the, all over the country. And he's about to go and get in the Uber to go to, uh, you know, wherever he's going to go. He's going to go to, uh, to Denver or something. And his wife says, did you remember to buy a gift for your host? He says, gift for the host? She says, what, where, where are you from? Do you not realize you always have to give a gift to your, go, uh, to your host when you're going to spend a Shabbos? And they're hosting you for a whole Shabbos. How can you not bring them a gift? He says, the Uber's going to be in one minute. What am I supposed to do? So she says, oh yeah, it was just Pesach a few weeks ago. Remember, there's that box of, uh, of glasses in the, in the corner over there. Go ahead and just take that and give it to them. We're, not, we're still not using them anyways. So he goes ahead and he gives them to, the, to, the, to his host and, uh, and, and showing everything is wonderful. So the host looks at, looks at it and says, wow, these look like they're you know, expensive and I'm surprised that somebody who's been learning a cola for the past 10, 15 years. Minneapolis is great, but to be able to afford this level of, of a gift, of, of uh, the 12 expensive uh, crystal glasses... 
I, I, I can't believe that he could go ahead and do so. So the person did his, he did, he did his due diligence and he looked up online, how much would this set of crystal glasses cost? At this point, it was $1,500. Something like some enormous amount of money. So he says, there's no way that this younger man had in mind that he's going to give us a gift of $1,500 of crystal glasses just because we host them for Shabbos. It was good accommodations. It was good cholent. But $1,500 is an awful lot. So he calls up the younger man and he said, this is my Sashaya. It's an actual story. So he calls up the person and he says, do you realize that w- what you gave me? He says, I have actually no idea. I know that, we, that, some, that an old harusa of mine had given me a gift of some, some crystal. I don't know anything about crystal. Like, you know, I, I don't know crystal from, uh, from glass. But it sat in the closet for a long time. My wife said they should give it to a gift. I just gave it to you. I'm, I, I have to come clean. But I, I, I had no idea. This guy says, they're worth $1,500. said, I had no clue. So now, can the younger man say, listen, I didn't realize I was giving you $1,500 worth of crystal glasses. Those were mine, and uh, it was a matana betos. I gave you this gift based on a, a, a mistaken assumption, mistaken facts, as I didn't realize. I thought they were, you know, normally when we go ahead and buy glasses, so you buy a set of eight, or you buy a set of 12 at Target for $3 or something like that. So I said, okay, crystal is a little bit more expensive. It'll cost me $20. I had no idea that they could be so, so expensive. So can he go ahead and get back these crystal glasses, which are worth $1,500? So seemingly you would say, if we were to take a poll, we would say that, listen, this is like the Ramah, and it's like the Pisgah Chuv, it's like the Avodah Segerashuni, where you, if you don't know what its value is, you don't actually acquire that value. We had two cases where you had that exact thing, where you received something, you didn't, you didn't realize how valuable it was, and then when you pass it on to another person, so we say to you, too bad, so sad. Because you only acquire that which you realize is, uh, is the value. Yeah. He knew that it's crystal. He just didn't know much it's worth. Not the same thing. So yes, that's true. Uh, right. So that, that that's part of it. I'll, I'll expand on that uh, a little bit. So when we when we posed this question to Abchaim Kohn, so we said to him, we thought we were smart. This was you know a few years into the call. So we said, oh, this is the Ramah with the Avodah Segar Shuni, and this would be the, the the exact same case. He didn't realize its value, and therefore it's uh, he he uh, uh, he only acquired what he thought it was worth. Abchaim said, not true. This is a third case, the third variation of the same type of case. Because over here, remember, case number one was you had silver which was covered by lead. Number two is you saw exactly what it was. You just thought it was different. You thought it was steel, and it turns out that it was actually silver. But there was nothing which was covering it up. That also is the same. Here, the main thing is, is that a makabo matana, somebody who receives a gift, or let's make it simpler, somebody who inherits property, Parent passes away, child inherits the property. So does a child need to know the value of every last item which is bequeathed to him in order to own it fully? So when I engage in buying and selling, so buying and selling, then my das is going to be significant in terms of I had das $15 worth of, with, worth of product, not $100 worth of product, not $50 worth of product, and therefore I only acquired those $15. If somebody inherits property, or if somebody receives a gift, do you need to immediately go onto, uh, onto the computer, Google that gift, and find out exactly how much it's worth in order to uh, acquire it fully? Absolutely not. Because as a gift, you, are, you have in mind, I will accept this for whatever its value is. So you don't have a specific value in mind to say that you owe to this extent and not to a larger extent. You have mind, whatever the gift is, that's, a, that's, a, that, 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 that's what I'm going to accept and that's what I'm going to go ahead and acquire. So in that type of context, 
where, number one, he knew what it was. He just, also what you said, Rabbi Gross, that you, he knew what it was. He just didn't know how much those things go for. And on top of that, where he doesn't need to have kavana in order to acquire the full value of the gift. He just has to have a mind, I'm acquiring that gift, this gift, I'm accepting that gift. So that gives him full ownership of it, regardless of what, it actually, uh, what, what it's actually worth. So Chaim said that technically he could go back to the, uh, to the recipient where he was the, 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 the Shabbos host and say, listen, I, there was a matan of a telos. I gave you this mistake in error. I didn't realize how much it was. And therefore I want, uh, you know, he, he, it, it's, it's awkward to do so. I probably wouldn't uh, do so. But he could theoretically go back and say, I want this, uh, I want this back because there was, never, there was never an intention to give you $1,500 worth of, uh, worth, of, uh, worth of crystal. Okay, where are we for time? I have a flight at twelve seventeen. So. <laughs> um, okay, I'll just tell you what the, the remaining topics are, and we won't uh, go through them in depth. So just so you'll see. So finally, he goes the 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 the, the, the I don't mean the spoiler in case you want, don't want to know the rest of the story. But the, the bean sack actually grows up. There's a giant up there. It turns out he finds out that the giant had killed his father. That's why he was an orphan, because the giant had actually killed his father, and the giant stole all of his father's stuff. That's why they were poor. So now the question is, now that if you steal property and then you kill the person whose property you stole, do you then become the owner of that property at that point or no? So sources 14 and 15 say that you do not, that uh, Yehush, you know, once you stole the property, even if the owner subsequently uh, 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 despairs from ever recovering it, so you're not going to be able to, uh, to get it back. And in source 16, it says that even in the event that you didn't actually kill the person you stole from, he just dies on his own. So, nonetheless, there's still going to be a, uh, you, your obligation is to return the stolen property or to repay the heirs of the person that you stole from. So, Jack, actually, all the stuff which is there at the top of the beanstalk, which is there in the, on the cloud, all of that actually belongs to Jack. That's why he has the right to that stuff. So now, okay, there's a shiloh about taking money from married women. Well, we won't do that. Taking the law into your own hands. So now, Jack decides to do is, if this stuff actually belongs to my father because the giant killed my father and stole all my father's stuff, do I have the right to now steal it back from him? He stole from my father. I am the rightful owner of this stuff anyways. He has a chiyuv. He has an obligation to repay me. So can I just go ahead and take it on my own? So that's why you have source 17, 18, and 19 about the parameters of taking the law into your own hands, taking back the uh, property which is yours, the, uh, the, the statement of, uh, of Ben Bagbag about not taking back something which is yours so it shouldn't appear as if you were a thief in the exact parameters of that. Yearning for more money. So he makes away with a large amount of money, and then he gets greedy and decides he's going to go back up the beanstalk and take more stuff from the giant. And whenever you begin to get greedy, so that's when the stories, that's when the things be, uh, 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 go downhill. Uh, up there, he knows that it's a threat to his life, whether you're allowed to engage in a dangerous profession, being a hunter, being a football player, doing, uh, you know, Australian rules football or something like that, whether you're allowed to do that. So that is a sugi by itself. Then you have, in source 20 over there, you have, he actually stole the, the hen, which is able to lay golden eggs. So when he, if he were to be obligated to return that, does he have to return all of the eggs which the, the hen laid while it was in his possession? They would have laid them had they been with the giant, and the giant would have acquired them. But he, st- he stole the thing, and then it laid a bunch of eggs. When he returns the head, when he returns it, does he have to return the eggs, or he's able to keep those eggs on his own? So that you have over there in source 20. Whether or not you're allowed to benefit from stolen property, that's source 21 over there. And then at the end of the story, you have... 
uh, where the giant is running after him, and he goes ahead and he chops down the, uh, the beanstalk, so the giant falls and kills him. So there you have the whole sugi of Rodef. If somebody's pursuing you, you're allowed to go ahead and kill the pursuer in order to defend yourself. And if you look, I left it there for the younger light over there, there's an interesting afike yam about, uh, which was... Uh, from Parshas Pinchas, we just have it, uh, this, this passage by, by Ir Miklat, that we know that the person who inadvertently kills somebody has to run to the city of refuge in order to be safe, because otherwise the Gaul Adam will be able to kill him. What happens if the murderer defends himself and kills the Gaul Adam? So is there any liability for defending himself against the Gaul Adam wants to go ahead, wants to go ahead and kill him? So that's the Fika Yam, which is in Source 23. Uh, I very much appreciate everybody's uh, attentiveness. I hope that it was uh, it, it was as much fun for you as it was for uh, for, uh, for for me to be able to uh, to deliver this year, and uh, appreciate uh, the uh, the opportunity. Oh, yeah.